Hello and welcome in once again to another episode of Backlash. I'm your host, Mitchell Smedley, and I'm here to rant and rave about all things Philadelphia sports. Got to start off on a positive note, though. I know there's a lot to be uh, very upset about. Believe me, we'll get into it because uh, our football team is in a historic collapse. But the Philadelphia Flyers, <laughs> you know, it's 10 a.m. on the East Coast. Let me start off with that. 10 a.m. Uh, here on the radio voice of Kutztown University, KUR. Uh, not 10 a.m. for me, though. It's actually just after 10 p.m. Uh, Wednesday night. I've told you I always record this beforehand. And the Philadelphia Flyers just gave me a way to come into the show on a high note with a 3-2 to two shootout victory over the Montreal Canadiens' Sean Couturier with your game-winning goal. I'll talk more about the game in a little while. But before we get in, just want to remind you, this show airs every week, 10 a.m. here on KUR. Would love to have you along if this is your first time here. Thank you for joining me. If you're a returning listener, thank you so much for being able to put up with yet another hour of me uh, ranting and raving and screaming my head off. It's great to have you along. It is not great to be watching the Philadelphia Eagles, though. Let's get right into it. What was the final score of Sunday's game? Couldn't tell you. Well, I could. It was 27-10. to 10. But uh, figuratively, I couldn't tell you because I stopped watching after it was 24-0 to 0 at halftime. What are you talking about? To the, to the New York Giants, the team that has nothing to play for, while the Cowboys were losing it at, at one point in their game against the Washington Commanders? Is this my football team? That was once 10-1, and one, and I was told I had a special quarterback and a special coach. I don't think they have either. We'll get into it. Game recap. It was 24 to nothing at halftime against the New York football Giants. That's really all you need to know. Not a lot to break down there. How does one go down 24 to nothing to the New York Giants when you're the team with something on the line? They made Tyrod Taylor look incredible on Sunday. Um, Saquon was running all down the Eagles' throat. The Eagles, uh, Jalen Hurts had 55 passing yards. Uh, 55 isn't good in any half of football. I don't care that he got pulled after the first half. He he only played a half, and he still underperformed what you expect. He still underperformed. This was the worst possible case scenario heading into the week, right? It was, you know, there was talk of, oh, what if they don't play the starters, trying to rest everybody, and Dallas ends up losing. That would be terrible. Well, then you had, well, <laughs> it's it's a crazy scenario, but what if the starters played and they still lost and Dallas lost? That almost happened. We got just about the worst case scenario. Dallas ended up beating up on Washington 35 to 10, I believe, was the final score in that game. It doesn't much soothe my nerves, however. I am very frustrated with this stupid football team. They were 10 and 1. They will go into the postseason 11 and 6. 11 and 6, they went 1 and 5 down the stretch. And that one win was a two point victory over the Giants. Two points. They won over the Giants. They lost to the Giants. They lost to the Cardinals. They lost to the Seahawks. And they lost to fellow playoff teams, Dallas and San Francisco. So, how did the rest of the bracket round out? Well, San Francisco gets that first round by Dallas, the two seed, Lions, a three seed. And then the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers will face the Eagles. Uh, you have the L.A. Rams sitting in the sixth seed. And the Green Bay Packers snuck in there. They got the seven in the NFC. Oh, my goodness. Before we can even look ahead to, to Monday night's playoff game for the Eagles, by the way, it's, it's been scheduled. The Eagles will play the Monday night football game 
on Wild Card Weekend. I believe that's on ESPN with Joe Buck, Troy Aikman. Very exciting, I guess, if you want to, you know, have something to watch on Monday night. I will be sitting back and watching the collapse of two of my least favorite people on the planet, Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. But uh, I, I mentioned the offensive struggles and, and some of the defensive struggles, but it, it's even worse than that because in this game against the New York Giants, we saw A.J. Brown uh, tweak his knee, he avoided an ACL injury. I, I have no idea. Uh, I haven't heard a lot of details on on his process, his recovery process, if he's going to be able to, to play in Monday night's game. That's both receivers now have injury concerns. Devontae Smith already didn't play this weekend. And on top of that, a guy like Reed Blankenship, he also goes down mid-game. Sidney Brown as well. Remember, he had that 99-yard pick six the week prior against Arizona. And finally, Jalen Hurts looked to injure his finger on a follow-through of a throw in the first half of this game. Uh, And he looked off even before that. He looked absolutely putrid. For the entire duration, he was out on the field. 55 passing yards. Uh, 55. Jalen Hurts, I don't know where this special idea came from, that people think that Jalen Hurts is uh, special. He had 23 passing touchdowns and 15 interceptions this season. 23 to 15, that is not a good ratio. That is one and a half touchdowns for every interception. That's not going to win you a ton of National Football League games. That is a huge struggle uh, for any passer. He did add uh, upwards of 10, I believe 12 or 15 uh, rushing touchdowns. So his final touchdown numbers were okay. But, uh, you know, with those 15 interceptions, that's just disgusting. He also lost five fumbles. So you're looking at, you know, 20. He almost had as many turnovers as passing touchdowns this season. Jalen Hurts was not particularly good. I believe he also had sub 4,000 passing yards. Not a good season for the Eagles quarterback. A quarterback they just handed $250 million to. This is not smart business by the Eagles, and and really the even more laughable clown in the in the realm of the Eagles right now is Nick Sirianni, who oh my goodness, he seems to be more concerned with making flowers grow than than winning football games. Remember, he said that, that building this team up back at twenty one was like watering a flower. Well, you could say that he watered it and got it to the Super Bowl, and then choked it all away with a ten point lead at halftime. Uh, but then. How's he gone about this season? I, I see mismanagement all over. And I've heard people argue that, that uh, oh, well, Brian Johnson's been calling the plays and, and Nick doesn't have any say over the defense. That's Sean Desai's realm. Well, what does Nick Sirianni do? What does he do for this team? Cheerlead? Should we put him, should we give him some pom-poms? It seems like Nick Sirianni's only job, only job, is to throw the challenge flag and they have replay people for that. They have a designated team of Eagles members, not players, but uh, but uh, franchise officials, up in the booth watching all the replays. He has assistance for that. What does Nick Sirianni do? All the best coaches do something really well. Bill Belichick schemes defense like you wouldn't believe, right? You have McVay uh, and you have Shanahan. They design offenses that are just out of this world. All these best coaches in the league, Andy Reid as well. He, I mean, he got along with players like you wouldn't believe. He was a a locker room force and and also a very good play caller himself. All of the good coaches in this league have an impact on the game. And uh, I I see Nick Sirianni as just standing there doing absolutely nothing and doing that even really poorly. It's hard to do nothing pretty badly 
uh, in comparison to someone else doing pretty bit, uh, doing nothing. Nick Sirianni has managed to be the worst person at doing nothing that I think I've ever laid eyes on. It is a disgusting, disgusting excuse for a football team. And I'll tell you a few more reasons why. On the other side of this, I just want to let you know that you can follow KUR all over social media. We have a plethora. How about that for a big word? A plethora of platforms you can reach us on. Uh, Facebook, Instagram, X, TikTok. The list goes on. We're all over. We're not strangers. I follow KUR uh, on social media. Uh, that's where you can find out about showtimes, uh, time changes, special events, like we did our uh, our New Year's Eve live broadcast. Abby, Jack, Mikey, they were all on the on the broadcast. Bring it in 2024. And uh, yeah, that's where you can find all of those updates. Our social media team would love to have you along for the ride. But I'll keep it moving. Philadelphia Eagles, a major, major, major disappointment. Um, and I, I don't see this, I don't see this wearing off whatsoever. I, I really think that this is who the Eagles are. We were saying that they weren't playing their best football when they were winning all those close games early in the season. That that looks to be their best football. That game against Miami, that game against, thankfully, Tampa Bay, right? They seem to be the best games that this Eagles team is capable of playing. 14-point wins is as good as it got, whereas you'll see the Cowboys hang 40 on people. You'll see the Giants absolutely dismantle people like they dismantled the Eagles on a week-in and week-out basis. It's absolutely disgusting. Uh, One note, I saw uh, one of the updates that they went to Carissa Thompson for during the game uh, was Carson Wentz throwing a pass to Puka Nakua for a touchdown. Uh, Carson Wentz had more touchdown passes than Jalen Hurts this week. And Carson Wentz's team didn't have any seeding to play for. So you tell me who's crazy when I'm, when I'm sitting here for the last months, uh, years in my personal life. Uh, but I'm sitting in front of this mic week in and week out, arguing with Jack Heim, arguing with everybody else, it seems, uh, saying that Jalen Hurts is a disgraceful excuse for an NFL quarterback. And he's most certainly, most certainly not special. I can't believe anyone would go that far. He had 55 passing yards. In a in a playoff implications game, let's let's not lose sight. I know that Dallas won, but at the time that Jalen Hurts was playing, Dallas was at minimum in a close game with Washington. It was never beyond one score in the first half. So that's just completely disgusting. Let's talk about the defense. They gave up 24 points in one half of football to the New York Giants. That can't happen as well. Uh, I, I've said all along that I just don't think the defense has the guys for it this year which is shocking because a tremendous defense last year brought in uh, Nolan Smith and brought in Jalen Carter. And even Sidney Brown's been pretty good this year. The problem is the stalwarts of that, of that defense, the guys that were here that they were adding to, they prioritized the wrong ones. They went for the old veterans as opposed to the uh, intriguing youth, TJ Edwards, CJ Gardner-Johnson, uh, Javon Hargrave, right? Who, by the way, talks about how much how much better the locker room is in San Francisco and how much it's like you come in and you have a job and if you don't like it, then they will they will move on from you. They have a system implanted in San Francisco and it's why you see them operate like a machine week in and week out. Whereas the Eagles, they look like a little summer camp. Ah, let's go play some football and we'll have a, we'll have a quarterback that's never going to throw you the ball, but you could run your routes and then, you know, get injured, A.J. Brown. That's fun. That's what we like here in Philly, right? Oh my goodness, it's frustrating. I've said it every week. 
uh, for the last month or so that they prioritized the wrong players on this team. They prioritized Fletcher Cox. They prioritized uh, James Bradbury, Darius Slay, both of whom look absolutely cooked this year. They can't, they can't defend anything. And uh, it's just very, very disheartening, let alone the defensive play calling, playing, you know, 10 yards off the line of scrimmage each time. It's just absolute dysfunction here in Philadelphia on both sides of the football. Uh, I heard that uh, Carolina is interested in interviewing Brian Johnson for the offensive coordinator position or for head coach. Something I think they're firing everyone again in Carolina. That's just another dysfunctional mess. But my question was, why? What, what did people see here from him that, that got him an interview anywhere else? He should, be, he should be delivering pizzas for a living after this year. He is not a good football mind. I'm sorry. Brian Johnson just doesn't have it. Similar uh, to Sean Desai. Sean Desai, also awful. And Nick Sirianni, I, I've said, I can't stand him. He needs to be out of the league. He needs to not have a job. Go take, uh, go take the Alabama job. Go to college. We'll get to that in a little bit. Some big sports headlines all around pro football, college football, everywhere else. A lot going on in the world of sports. So that's generally what you saw on Sunday. 24 to nothing at halftime. Giants would go on to win. Uh, One quick note I will throw in is Quez Watkins scored a touchdown thrown by Marcus Mariota. And proceeded to, you know, talk some smack on Instagram after the game about his touchdown catch. What an absolute buffoon. As if I needed any more fuel on my get Quez Watkins off my team fire. What a loser. What a loser. You realize your team is in a historic collapse in this city. They just experienced a 1-5 and five skid heading into the playoffs. And, and you're going to talk trash about a garbage time touchdown in a game that Eventually didn't matter because Dallas locked up your division that you were leading by two games, three games at some points. That's fantastic, Quez. I really appreciate you. Uh, I really appreciate you having your eyes set on the the true objective here. So that's Quez Watkins. He's a loser. There's a lot of losers on this team. Um, but someone who's not a loser is you because you're along for the ride with me. And uh, I always say this is like group therapy. So thank you for helping me get through this. But enough of the... Similar talking points I've been I've been talking about all all month long and all all stretch long of this losing skid. Let's get into it. Let's get into the playoffs. We've got a bunch of matchups to talk about, and we will start with your Philadelphia Eagles going to Tampa Bay. They do not have a home playoff game. They are going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Let's get into that. So the Eagles again coming off their one and five skid come into play uh, a team that had almost as bad of a showing as the Eagles did on Sunday. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers just got by the Carolina Panthers nine to nothing. And this is a game where Carolina had a touchdown called back. They had, uh, I believe a turnover deep in the red zone. Like it it got dicey at times uh, throughout the first three quarters of this football game, but a few field goals helped the Tampa Bay Bucks to a division ceiling victory. That's right. They needed it. So they were playing at their best and they managed to beat the worst team in the league nine to nothing, by the way, giving the Chicago Bears another first overall pick. Congratulations to them uh, for making that trade that eventually got CJ, not CJ Stroud. That's not at all the right team. Uh, Bryce Young. They got Bryce Young sent to 
Carolina. We'll talk about C.J. Stroud here in a little bit. But the Eagles are favored by two and a half points. So pretty close line, and it should be. I mean, there's really not much difference between these two teams in my mind. The Eagles, especially with their injuries, suffered in last week's game down at least uh, at least partially in the sense that some guys are almost definitely not at full strength, even if they are playing. But well, the main one, of course, is Jalen Hurts. How does he play? Uh, usually pretty poorly, even when he's healthy. But that's okay. No, it's not. Actually, I'm very upset about it, and I wish we could get a different quarterback, but we're locked in for four more years after this. Very frustrating. Very, very frustrating. I'll say it till the till the show ends. I guess that's not very long. It's another like 40 minutes, but you get my point. Very upset. Not a good situation. And uh, so the, the Eagles, obviously, with injury concerns, both sides of football, Jalen Hurts, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, Blankenship, uh, Sidney Brown, the list goes on. There's also a couple other minor pieces there as well. But injury concerns for the Birds are going up against Baker Mayfield. They're playing Baker Mayfield in a playoff game, and I think they're going to lose. That's insanity. This is not. This is not good news for this for this franchise. What an embarrassment following up last year. Uh, Baker Mayfield. He's got some good weapons to work with. Uh, he's got White in the backfield. He's got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. Cameron Brate is the tight end, or Kate Otten, I'm sorry, is the tight end. Total wrong tight end, I was thinking of. Kate Otten is your tight end. Those will be the three main pass catchers for the Bucks. Their defense, uh, you know, the Eagles were able to exploit it earlier in the season, and I hope that the same can be said this time around because they're going to need it because Jalen Hurts doesn't look like he can put up any sort of points. He He put up a total of zero against the Giants this week. And he put up 21 against an awful, awful Cardinals defense the week before. And before that, he only put up 20 against the Giants. And before that, we all we all know the story. 17 against the Seahawks, 13 against the Cowboys, six of which uh, were actually the offenses because seven came on a Jalen Carter touchdown. So it, it just goes on. The list goes on and on and on. Of poor offensive performances, the Eagles haven't scored 30 since, oh my goodness, when... Uh, I'd be hard-pressed to think of the last time. They didn't do it against KC. Probably Buffalo, the Buffalo game. Remember that? Pre-Thanksgiving? That was fun. So the Eagles really going to need their defense to step up, uh, which is tough because you have some really accomplished receivers that you're going up against. You're throwing James Bradbury and Darius Slay against Mike Evans and Chris Godwin. Both are aging. I get that. But, I mean, you saw it against Green Bay. These These guys, especially Chris Godwin, uh, people have been counting him out this season. I really still see a spark in Godwin, and, and we'll see what he can do come playoffs. And, and Mike Evans, obviously, is just a beast. So it'll be difficult to square up against those two guys offensively. Uh, for the, or, I mean, defensively for the Eagles, offensively. For the Buccaneers, they might have a, a nice advantage against this very weak Eagles secondary. Really, it's going to come down to this this uh, Eagles defensive line, the Bucks have some good offensive linemen, a lot invested in that. Uh, back from when they had Tom Brady, their big priority was to protect him. So you have some some guys left over from that era that they've really invested in the offensive line. Can this Eagles defensive line, which was supposed to be the calling card of this team, get in there, get some sacks on Baker, not only make him uncomfortable, but generate negative plays, turn field position, and not have Jalen Hurts need to go so far to get in field goal range or in the end zone. That's what this game really ultimately could come down to. 
is just creating some negative plays to flip field position. It's it, it has the potential to be one of those grinded out kind of games where where field position really comes into the picture, like it did in the uh, national championship game, which I'll get to in just a little bit. Sets the Eagles. My official prediction, if I had to go with one, it feels like a game where the Eagles will win. I don't think they should. Like I don't know why I have that feeling. I, I think I'm going to actually pick the Buccaneers because all my logic says to do so. I just have this weird feeling that the Eagles are going to find some weird way to win it and set up a bloodbath against uh, either Dallas or San Francisco. But Dallas isn't a lock. You know, I, I had uh, I was talking with someone. They saw something that, that maybe Green Bay could have something against Dallas. I don't know. I still see Dallas winning that game. I'll get to that in just one second. But uh, officially, on the record, I will go Tampa Bay over the Eagles. I will go ooh, 24 to 17. I say they win by a touchdown. I say that the Eagles have trouble moving the ball. One of their touchdowns is set up by uh, a turnover with prime field position. So I, I think really... This, lead, this team leaves a lot to be desired. I see the Bucks beating the Eagles 24-17. And I think that's desirable if you're an Eagles fan. I think that's what you should want because it would give not only, you know, it would not only put us out of our misery, but it would also give the Eagles uh, better draft picks in April's draft coming up. Uh, every round you win in the playoffs, now you're dropping further and further toward the bottom. Especially considering, I think, the... NFC has a plethora of teams that could beat the Eagles before they even made a, a run at the Super Bowl. I'm looking at Dallas. I'm looking at San Fran. Those are the teams that have done it. I think you got to throw LA in there. And I definitely think the Lions could tear up this Eagles defense. I think they, I think that Jared Goff would torch the Birds secondary. So there you have it. My official prediction, Tampa Bay 24-17 over the Eagles. It's not a spite pick. It's not a Debbie Downer pick. I just honestly, my logic tells me that that's what's going to happen. You have very accomplished, experienced receivers going against very washed DBs for the Eagles. You have a quarterback that not only has not played well this season, but also has some sort of finger injury now. And you have receivers that are banged up for the Eagles when that's the strong suit of the team, uh, aside from defensive line which hasn't proven anything this year. It hasn't stopped the run, and I think Tampa runs the ball pretty well when given the opportunity, and they haven't they haven't gotten passing pressure as much as they should have. But if they can generate those negative plays, if they can prey on Baker Mayfield, you know, that could totally flip this game around. I believe the last time Baker was in a playoff game, is that the game against the Bengals? Was that the, the ghost whistle in the end zone touchdown thing where there was a ref blew the whistle in the middle of the play, but no one decided to recognize it. I don't know. I think that's the last time Baker played in a game. He lost. Uh, and that might be his, is that his only playoff game? I'm not sure. I'll have to do my Baker Mayfield research. So that's the five versus the four seed in the NFC. Let's move on to the three versus the six. This is such an interesting game for me. I will be highly tuned in to the Rams versus Lions game. I can't wait for this one. It's the Matt Stafford revenge game against Detroit. I can't even – I feel like he really enjoyed that that city and, and everything. I, I don't think there was any love lost. Or I, That's actually is – that is that how you say that? I have no idea how you say that, quite frankly. I don't think there's any bad blood between him and, and the Detroit fans. That's a much better way of saying that, Mitch. But also you have uh, 
Jared Goff going against his former team. You'll remember those quarterbacks were swapped in that blockbuster deal, sending Matthew Stafford to the Rams and sending some first-round draft picks and Jared Goff to the Lions. It got the Rams a Super Bowl. Can it get the Lions a Super Bowl? Who knows? Uh, One of those first-round picks turned into Jameer Gibbs. He'll be prominently featured in this game, I'm sure. And this is a really interesting one. I have the Rams getting the upset. I love what they're doing offensively, and I love how their young defenders are rounding into form, covering really well. They're going to have their work cut out for them against a bona fide number one receiver in Amon Ross St. Brown and some really good running backs in Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. But you'll remember they shut down Alvin Kamara on Thursday night football just a couple weeks ago. I think the Rams have what it takes. I love their chemistry between Matt Stafford and Puka Nakua. I mean, just all kinds of rookie records for him. And they have Cooper Cup, who's now firing on all cylinders. Kyron Williams is becoming a beast. And I think you can really run the ball effectively against this Detroit defense. It's been a concern of mine and Jack's on heavy hitters all throughout the season with the, or at least the second half of the season with this Lions team. The defense has been showing uh, that it's leaking some oil. And I think that's especially apparent when you watch them up through the middle of that rushing defense. Look for Kyron Williams to get in the end zone twice. Lock that in for me. Uh, I'll give you two Kyron Williams touchdowns. I think the Rams win by about 10 or 13 points, actually. I think a late Williams touchdown salts that one away. So give me the Rams over the Lions by double digits. And also the third game in the NFC that you got going on this weekend, Lions-Packers, two very storied franchises. Uh, Did I say Lions-Packers? That is completely wrong. I don't know why I just said that. I just talked about the Lions. I'm off my game. I'm sorry. Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts have me all, all fired up. You got the Cowboys and the Lions. And I don't buy uh, what some people are saying about the Packers having something on the Cowboys. I disagree. I know the, the Packers were able to get a, a nice win over the Lions. They've been winning a couple games recently, uh, stringing it together and getting in the playoffs. I think Dallas is the more high-powered team. And yeah, here we go. I'm picking the Cowboys fairly comfortably. When they beat teams, they typically have been beating up on them just like they did to the Commanders. I think the game against the Seahawks was an outlier where Dallas just barely put that one away. You saw what Dallas could do to the Eagles. You saw what Dallas did, like I said, to the Commanders, to a bunch of these other teams. Uh, I, I think the Packers are among just about the weakest teams in the playoffs. It's either them or or the Steelers for me. But give me Dallas to get a comfortable win over the Packers. And if my bracket verifies, oh boy, if my bracket verifies with the Rams, Eagles, and, or I'm sorry, Rams, Bucks, and Cowboys moving on, that would look like a divisional matchup between the Rams and 49ers. Interesting game. And a uh, rematch from last playoffs uh, between the Dallas Cowboys and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. However, if the Philadelphia Eagles were to get the win like they are favored to do, uh, and like a lot of people in this city think they can do, that would set up Rams versus 49ers again, and Eagles versus Cowboys in the playoffs, in the divisional round of the playoffs, where Dallas is known to put on their choking act, and uh, that just might be something special. Uh, but I would not like going down to to Jerry World to face the Cowboys. However, if the Rams and the Packers both won, if they both upset uh, their their teams or their opponents, I should say, and the Eagles also won, the Eagles would end up hosting a playoff game that would be against the Los Angeles Rams. So that's the NFC playoff picture. Uh, that's how I see it going. 
Let's take it over to the AFC. So in the AFC, I'll try to make this one quick because the only way this affects Philly sports is if the Eagles likely have to win uh, three road playoff games in a row, which I do not foresee being the case. They'll be lucky if they win one, in my opinion. But the AFC, you got the Dolphins-Chiefs, I think, is the premier matchup here. Uh, I could go either way on this one. Oof, that one is that one is tough. But I think I'm going to go Dolphins. I think the Chiefs are a first-round exit this season. I know that a lot of people think the Dolphins are fool's gold, but I am going to pick them against my better judgment. I just have seen the Chiefs' lack of good receivers hurt them too many times, and I think this could be one of those one of those key times where the, the Dolphins just have better skill players than the Chiefs. Watch out for Travis Kelsey, though. As usual, Kelsey and Mahomes can make anything happen on a football field. Moving on, you have the oh the Steelers and the Bills. I couldn't think. I saw Pittsburgh, and I was like, oh, my goodness. Why can't I think of the name? The Steelers and the Bills. This one, not very hard for me. I've not been impressed by the Steelers whatsoever all season. I'm going to go with the Bills fairly comfortably, and a lot of people are saying the Bills are the team you don't want to play right now. I would agree with that. I like the Bills, uh, just like I like the Rams as a really strong, really strong team in the NFC. I love the Bills. I got the Bills all over the Steelers. So then I'm going to plow right ahead here. We're talking about the Browns and the Texans. Yes, the Browns and Texans, Cleveland. Getting back to the playoffs, I mean, they started all sorts of quarterbacks this season. It's a miracle. Uh, the Texans, on the other hand, had to battle back, and and thank goodness that there was a collapse worse than the Eagles in the NFL. The Jacksonville Jaguars did not even make the playoffs. That's embarrassing for them, Jacksonville. Doug Peterson, what happened? So uh, the Houston Texans represent the AFC South. They face off against Cleveland. This is a really tough game for me as well. But uh, Houston's receiver room is banged up. Uh, I think that Joe Flacco has shown enough uh, that he can do enough. I like Cleveland's defense as well. I have the Browns beating the Texans. Uh, so that's, uh, I think I just have the one. No, I have, the, yeah, two wild cards uh, upsetting in the AFC. Uh, and with a bracket like that, let me just check my math here. Yes. That would leave a Dolphins-Ravens game and a uh, a Browns-Bills game, and I think you would see Ravens versus Bills after that. That's my bracket in the AFC. I think the Ravens should be Super Bowl favorites. I love the Ravens. Uh, Ravens, Niners, and Bills are my top three uh, teams to win the Super Bowl this season at the outset of the playoffs. So I just thought I'd uh, I'd throw a quick around the league. I know this is supposed to be Philly sports centered, but we got to keep an eye on what's going on. It is the NFL playoffs. Very exciting spectacle in sports, but we did have another exciting game. We had a national championship between the Michigan Wolverines gross and the uh, Washington Huskies. Unfortunately, if you were like me, uh, Michigan won. That's boring. No one likes that. Uh, that's pretty gross. Washington was in this game for a long time. Michigan got out to a hot start. They were up 17 to three. Uh, before Washington was able to put a touchdown on the board, got it to a one-score game at a couple of points. But uh, Michigan added a couple field goals here and there, and then a late touchdown to put it away. Michigan got the win, I believe, by 13. Uh, I forget the exact score of that game. But Michigan, congratulations. You suck. I don't like you. And uh, 
that's just how it goes, I guess. One of Penn State's arch rivals. But if this were one year later, that national championship would have been all Big Ten teams. So uh, Washington, we'll see in the Big Ten next year. Very exciting. I know some people have some some mixed reactions to the to the uh, swapping of divisions, or, or I guess the consolidation of divisions in college football. I'm also very excited to see that era uh, moved on from the the four team playoff. I'm I'm super hyped for this 12 team playoff. Hopefully, you'd see Penn State in there next year. Uh, we'll see exactly what happens. Drew Aller, that's another quarterback that just doesn't have it. Just can't throw the football well enough. Um, so that is what went on in college football this week. Um, one more note I had. I, I've just been thinking here about Jalen Hurts. I've just been thinking about that national championship, right? Washington had Michigan in a third and I believe 12 or 15. I think it was 12, third and 12 or so. Uh, might have been even longer than that. Uh, back way, way, way deep in Michigan's own territory. And the Michigan quarterback, he was blitzed, but he was able to get around it. I believe his name is McCarthy. McCarthy was able to to step up around the blitz and rushed. He came to the near side, and then he rushed for the first down. He was able to get the, the first down. And there were a million plays like that where, where Washington would have the blitz on, but McCarthy was able to stand in and find a man. And I was watching that going, why can't my quarterback that's making $250 million over the course of five years in the NFL, not only college, but in the NFL, why can't he get around a blitz? Teams have learned that if you get Jalen Hurts running to his left after you blitz him, he's just going to throw the ball away. His numbers go so far down, he's just throwing the ball away. And recently, I'd say over the last month and a half, he's doing the same thing when he goes out to his right. It's Once Jalen Hurts gets off his spot, he is incapable of finding a guy down the field because he's not looking down the field anymore. He's looking to preserve himself, not take a hit. Uh, and a lot of people say that, oh, throwing it out of bounds, that's the smart move. Yeah, every once in a while. But when that becomes your default, when you're not even surveying the field on the run, that's what separates the Lamars and the Mahomes. Is You you think you've done everything you're right. You get them out toward the sideline. You get them totally away from the play. And then they'll, they'll dig into their bag of tricks, and they'll break your heart with a, a pass back to the – to the other side of the field for 15 yards. It's incredible what they can do. Jalen Hurts does not have anything close to that gear. That's why the play that he he was running out to his left is against the Buffalo Bills, running out to his left, and he launched it deep, and it was caught by, oh, who was that? Alameda Zacchaeus. That was, that's why I, I literally, I was alone in my apartment, and I'm watching that game, and I just started screaming. I was, I was so shocked that anything like that could have happened, and if that could have been the norm, Going down the stretch, maybe you're looking at a completely different result, uh, not only in the fan base, how we feel, but but in the standings. You know, the Eagles could have been the first repeat champion in this division since 2005, but it was not not to be. Teams have definitely keyed in that if you get Jalen Hurts moving either to his left or his right, uh, he is he is not going to complete the ball typically. And, and if you get him moving backwards, he keeps going backwards and losing more yards. I don't know if anyone else has noticed this. Jalen Hurts' sacks aren't just nice little four or six yard losses. Jalen Hurts loses like 15 yards on a sack most of the time, many of the times. It's really frustrating, and it really just has no explanation. It has no place on this team. It's very outraging. But uh, the Eagles, yeah, we'll see what they can do this weekend. Uh, my pick, obviously, I've already gone through all this. I got the Tampa Bay Buccaneers getting the best of your Philadelphia Eagles. We got some other headlines to talk about before we move on to a couple other teams. Let's stay in football for now. 
We have some coaches being separated from their teams. Let's go NFL first. Pete Carroll, sneaky Pete. He is out in Seattle. No longer going to be coach of the Seattle Seahawks. Similarly, Mike Vrabel, he's been fired by Tennessee. Uh, That's a franchise that can never get it right. That's okay. The Tennessee Titans and the Seattle Seahawks have moved on from their coaches. Uh, They joined the likes of Carolina, who also fired their coach midseason. And surprisingly enough, it seems that the Bears are looking to fire everyone else, but not their head coach. So interesting. I guess they see something there that, that there's some sparks going right in Chicago. So the, the coaching carousel begins to turn in the NFL. I already mentioned that apparently Carolina is interested in interviewing Brian Johnson. Have him. I will literally pay Carolina to take him. Thank you very much. That would solve one of the Eagles' many, many issues. And then the big story just breaking, well, today, yesterday for you. But uh, Nick Saban has resigned as the coach of Alabama, an end to an era, I believe seven national titles under his tenure. Nick Saban, truly one of the greats to ever do it, hated by many because he was so good. Uh, And Nick Saban, no longer with the Crimson Tide. That was shocking news to come across my desk today. Really intriguing stuff. Um, And then, yeah, I believe all the other stuff, all the other news and notes I have, for things that we are yet to talk about. So it's time. It's it's time as I'm wearing this crazy, I don't even know how to explain this uh this flyers hat I'm wearing, but it's got a whole bunch of like crazy hair on it. It's you know, it's the orange and the black, man. It's not supposed to be pretty. It is uh, you know, and, and the Flyers played like that uh in a game this Saturday. Who was that again? Why am I why am I struggling? Was that against the oh wow, I'm showing my Showing my lack of knowledge right now, but the you know the Flyers uh, they played really well on Saturday. They got the win, just like they did tonight. Well, actually, it was uh, a little bit different of a script. That tonight took a shootout. It's the first time I've actually watched a shootout victory in hockey. I don't think I've ever like I know that they happen, and the Flyers have had them. And they've had them in my lifetime at big spots. Twenty ten to go to the uh, the playoffs, but uh, I've never been sitting in front of the TV that I can recall when we have won in a shootout fashion. So that was cool for me to see tonight. But uh, yeah, Couturier got the game winner. Before that, uh, Owen Tippett, he scored in the last three games. And his second uh, his second game in a row where he flyers were down 2 nothing in the and he cut it to one in the first period. Really good stuff out of him. I believe back-to-back games with a power play goal. Flyers three games in a row with a power play goal. That unit's coming alive, and their their penalty kill has been incredible as of late. Not only are they uh, among the league leaders, I believe second in the league in, in kill percentage, but the Flyers also have uh, jumped out to the league lead in shorthanded goals with Travis Konechny scoring the eventual game-winning goal on Saturday. Uh Shorthanded. It was an incredible goal, really. Him and I believe it was Lawton that went in there. But Travis Konechny, the all-star for this team, playing at an all-star level. He has really rounded into his own in the last couple of years here. Really great to see. Calgary Flames. That's who the uh, – not the Eagles. That's who the Flyers played on Saturday. I don't know why I couldn't think of that. But uh, there's a lot to get into. 
from this past week. So I figured, why don't we just, uh, you know, dive right in and kind of jumping around, but let's go in a more orderly fashion here, Mitch. Uh, Thursday night, last Thursday night, they played, that was the Columbus game. And the Flyers had a 2-0 lead in the third period. Travis Konechny, another goal. Before the Flyers gave this one away, two goals in quick succession by the Columbus Blue Jackets. The the terrible Columbus Blue Jackets of all teams. Come on. Um, And the the Flyers would then go to overtime and then a shootout where I would see yet another shootout loss. My streak was not broken that night. Uh, And the Blue Jackets, best the Flyers. The Flyers got a point out of it, but you need two. You need to rack up the wins against some of those, you know, those lowly teams in the league because I don't know if you've looked at the Metropolitan Division standings, but holy smokes, our teams bunched up right now. I believe it's like five teams within three points of each other, something crazy before tonight. The Flyers got to win tonight, so that'll that'll help with that. But uh, really not a good showing in the third period. And it was something consistent with that road trip that we talked about on last week's show. The Flyers had looked gassed throughout the third periods of of all the games on the West Coast, and it carried into the first game of this homestand where they just they controlled the first two and a half periods of that game, but just ran out of gas in the third period. Columbus was jumping up on shifts. They were pressing, and the Flyers just too slow getting to pucks, too slow on their passes, too slow on their zone entries and exits. And uh, Columbus was able to force a bunch of turnovers, get pucks to the net, and they eventually got three of them home, two of them in that third period. Not what you want to see out of the Flyers, but they responded very well on Saturday uh, against the Calgary Flames. Whew, a back and forth game. Flyers went down one nothing in this game. Then they tied it. Um, you know, and eventually it was tied two to two, heading to the third period. When, as I mentioned before, Travis Konechny shorthanded for the Flyers' tenth shorthanded goal of the season. That leads the league. Tremendous dandy of a play. But uh, really, really an impressive showing. There was a lot of of scrumming in this game. On, on, in a game where they honored Ed Snyder, really looked like an Ed Snyder style of game. There were a lot of, you know, a lot of fights going on. I believe it was Joel Farabee that got a 10 minute misconduct. If I'm not mistaken, he was involved in a, in a massive scrum and a whole bunch of uh, questionable officiating. That'll be a theme as we, as we see heading into the, the week game that I guess the the weeknight games this week and um, the flyers able to get out of there with an exciting win. They locked it down in the final minutes of the third period, and uh, they bested the Calgary Flames by a score of 3-2. to two. But we do have to move on to a night that was not as fun, and luckily we had the national championship to distract us from the latest installment of the Flyers-Penguins rivalry. So the Penguins jump out to the early 2-0 lead. I mentioned Owen Tippett. He cuts it in half 2-1, to one, Flyers power play. But uh, the Penguins would go on to score two more times over the duration of the game. Flyers were never fully in this one. The Penguins just barraged the Flyers early on. There was some horrible, horrible officiating where they seemed to be calling the Flyers for any, any uh, you know, tit-for-tat call. But uh, the Penguins could knock Flyers to the ice, do the exact same things, trip guys. But it was not called a penalty throughout the duration of the first period especially, but throughout the game. Uh, but that first period is where it was most noticeable. Very frustrating. So the the Flyers don't get any points out of that. They lose to a division rival. And uh, things 
were looking uh, looking not so good on Monday night. But during Monday night's game, some some crazy news broke, and this is this is insane. Uh, some crazy news broke that Flyers' former first round pick Cutter Gauthier, who was going to be one of the cornerstones of this rebuild, who was going to come up with Matt V. Mitchkoff and ignite this this team and ignite the league with his with his play. He has some special talent. Just led the Team USA to the gold medal uh, in the juniors. And holy smokes, this story right here. The Flyers traded Cutter Gauthier to the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for Jamie Drysdale. Drysdale. I'm sorry, I I've messed that up three times. Jamie Drysdale and a second round pick. Jamie Drysdale is a young defenseman. He he's a power play quarterback sort of guy. Has some offensive abilities as well. Really really high upside on this this 21 year old defenseman. But the, the cornerstone of the trade is is Cutter Gauthier. This shook the league. This this was shocking. It turns out that Cutter Gauthier had told the Flyers he didn't want to be a Flyer. He didn't want to be in Philly. And that was just that. He was not going to play for them. because it, There's speculation that it's because the Flyers said that you're not ready. You need to spend another year at Boston College. Uh, whatever reason. I mean, I've been trying to figure out why a guy like this would not want to play in Philadelphia. The Flyers had made every attempt to go over to Sweden. That's where he's from, to uh to you know, kind of talk to him and talk with his agent. But it turned out he just turned the cold shoulder and said, no, we're not even talking to you. I don't know what could make a guy like this not want to play in a city as great for sports as Philadelphia. If he thinks that that Philadelphia is some bad place to play hockey or, or any sport for that matter, he is getting some terrible misinformation. This This city and this fan base is the best in the country. And for him not to realize that is is just absolutely disgusting. So, so screw it. Screw him. He can go play in Anaheim. You want to go play in Anaheim, the Ducks? How much recognition do the Ducks get around the NHL? Not much. Congratulations, uh, Cutter. You you left a tremendous hockey town when this team is when this team is actually competent. They don't even have to be world beaters like they are right now. But you can feel the city getting excited about this hockey team, and and you left that in exchange for one of the more irrelevant franchises in the league. Just an absolute stunner of a of a decision. And the Flyers, to their credit, the I mean, you look at Keith Jones, he's like, uh, he didn't want to be a Flyer. So see ya. He won't be one. We don't want you if you don't want to be here. And uh John Tortorella in full force. I believe his quote was, I couldn't tell uh I couldn't I couldn't differentiate Cutter Godier from a hole in the wall. I believe was John Tortorella's quote. Just an amazing, amazing quote. And that's why you have a guy like John Tortorella. Take notes, Nick Sirianni, please. So that was tremendous to see uh, the the team and the front office respond in such a nice, I, I, I call that nice, such a, a, uh, a real way and a, a way that builds culture in this in this city and builds culture in within this team. This is a new regime, Danny Briere, Keith Jones, right? The whole the whole thing. It's all new and they're putting it together in a way that, that they see fit. And I know that this was a pick still from the Chuck Fletcher era, but he was still supposed to be very good. You know, their second best prospect behind Mitchkov and holy smokes, they had to trade him away. I think they got a pretty good return. We'll see what that second rounder turns into. But uh, this this Drysdale guy, we'll get to him because he played in tonight's game now for you, yesterday's game. And the, re- the early returns are pretty good. So just a stunner of a move. 
from the Flyers, uh, kind of had their hand forced by Cutter Gauthier. What world do we live in? What world do we live in where, where draft picks who haven't played a single second on an NHL rink are dictating where they want to play? This is stuff you see in the NBA for a guy that has like five rings. This That's when you see this. Um, this is absolutely outrageous that, that he can demand something like that. And, and that the Flyers really have no choice but to give in. It's absolutely mind-boggling. So that really upset me uh, because he is such a talent. And I would have loved to have him here in a couple of years when he's ready. He's not ready yet. That's what he has to get through his head. But uh was not so. Before we continue on any further, just want to remind you that you can catch past shows from your favorite KUR hosts and personalities on Mixcloud and or Spotify. Uh, sorry, sorry, Mixcloud or Spotify. It was not an and or. I misread it. You can catch past shows from your favorite KUR hosts uh, on Mixcloud or Spotify. Mixcloud will be utilized for all of our music-based programming. So if you missed an episode of, I don't know, Redneck Rush Hour, maybe, that's a terrible show. You can uh, you can go catch the, <laughs> the past episodes on Mixcloud. They're all uploaded there. Uh, it's free, free to download, free to set up an account, and you can be listening to all your favorite KUR personalities there. Alternatively, our talk-based programming, that's up on Spotify. So this show, uh, Heavy Hitters, uh, all sorts of just uh, all of our best in talk programming can be found on Spotify. Just search Kutztown University Radio on either platform, and it'll pop up there for you. Okay, getting on toward the last six minutes or so of the show today. Let's talk about tonight's game, a game that the Flyers went down 2-0. 2-0. Uh, they, they, the Canadians had two shots in the first period, and they were up 2-0 after the first period. Not after the first period, but they were up 2 to nothing in the first period before uh, Owen Tippett again had a, a crazy uh, nice shot to uh, cut the deficit in half. That was on the power play as well. And this was a game, as it went on, the Flyers would uh, eventually tie it. Oh, don't want to skip over this. Uh, on a goal by Morgan Frost, and the assist going to Jamie Drysdale in his in his Flyers debut uh, puts a beauty of an assist. And, and Drysdale, he was playing phenomenal throughout this game. I mean, he was all over the ice. It felt like for for a guy that they were easing into the game. I mean, he had that assist. He had several shots of his own that almost found their way home, uh, both in the late third period and in overtime. I mean, if he would have scored the game winner, I would have just passed out on the floor. That would have been insane. But it felt like every every outlet he was he was putting up the ice was working very well. It felt like he was getting quick outlets for the Flyers all night. His passing was on point. That's something I'm going to have to bring up because the Flyers struggle passing the puck. Oh, my goodness. Just so many missed passes off the mark. And and quite frankly, they look to pass way too much in the offensive zone. You're hearing the the fans nowadays doing what they used to do back in the old days when, when people would really get on them about this uh, before they were, were total trash back toward the 2019 days is, is just yelling for them to shoot during an offensive shift. It just gets too much where, where they're just trying to pass it around the whole time instead of just putting pucks to the net, funneling pucks to the net and forcing an error by the opposing team. You know, you, you, if you put pucks to the net, not only do you, you have higher chances of scoring, but you also threaten penalties and, and all that other stuff to go on power plays and such um, and just get a lot of confusion in front of the goalie. A lot of good things happen when you put the puck on net and it seemed like, uh, you know, Drysdale with his offensive mindedness, he really kind of gets that. And he felt like a breath of fresh air for that team tonight. 
So I really enjoyed watching him play. Uh, Flyers would go on to win in the shootout, as I've mentioned a couple times, Sean Couturier, and they managed to go 2-1-1 one, and one on this homestand. That's five points. That's a, that's a decent homestand, especially after such a struggle out West. People were concerned, is this who the Flyers are? And, uh, you know, they'll... They'll go do battle with the Minnesota Wild this Friday before facing the league's best Winnipeg Jets on Saturday. I believe they have three games in four nights coming up. So the Flyers playing some decent hockey. They'll be back home next Thursday, the 18th, against the Dallas Stars. So really excited to watch this team right now. They're they're playing hungry. They're playing uh, physical. They don't. They definitely don't back down from another physical team. Uh, there's just some of those those stretches where they just get out outmatched uh just outmaneuvered i feel like all the best teams you see them be able to move the puck very quickly tic-tac-toe and it's in the net the flyers don't have that potential right now and i, I think they're trying to do that uh a little bit too much they, they they don't look fluid moving the puck from stick to stick they they more so have to to rely on those big shots that they have like people like Konechny, lawton uh, Katuria, you know, these guys have some, some large sticks and you add a, you add a guy like Drysdale to that mix now among other defenders, uh, you know, and this, this, uh, Zamula, Yeager Zamula, he's been playing a good red line or not red line, total wrong line, good blue line on the power play recently. That's what kind of got it going, uh, on Saturday and Monday before Drysdale got things going on the power play tonight, but really impressed with a few of the, uh, the Flyers young players. Really impressed with uh, the the veteran leadership in Couturier, in Konechny, and Lawton, in them stepping up tonight. Really uh, a good time to be a Flyers fan. If you're not on the bandwagon yet, you might want to jump on really, really quickly. So that is almost going to do it. Just about a minute left here in today's show. want to thank you so much for joining me, as usual, here on Backlash, where we uh, we give it to our, our fellow Philly sports uh icons, you know, because there's always something to be upset about in this town is what I've learned in 20 years of rooting for these teams. You got the Eagles on a, a terrible skid. You got the Flyers. Uh, they're fighting back after after a tough stretch in a year that they weren't supposed to really be making a lot of noise. And I'm, I just could not be happier watching this team and watching this this rebuild progress so quickly. And I think that speaks to the style of coaching that Tortorella has over Sirianni. I'm going to compare the two because that's my talking point today, is, uh, you know, John Tortorella is just a, a flat-out better coach than Nick Sirianni because John Tortorella actually brings something. He brings energy, and he brings accountability. Nick Sirianni brings pom-poms. He brings pom-poms and give me an E, give me an A. That is not what this team needs. The Eagles need to go out, punch the Buccaneers in the mouth. They need to win that game by 20 points, and I'll start believing again. Uh, but I actually have the Bucks picked uh, to win, in my mind, that's just what I think. The Phillies still sit on their hands. They do nothing. Please bring me Adam Duvall and Josh Hader. I'll be happy. And, uh, yeah, that's just about all going on in Philly sports. By the way, don't know if I mentioned this already. Cutter Gauthier sucks. He's a loser. Um, and uh, credit to the fans, by the way. They gave a huge ovation to Drysdale when he first stepped onto the ice. And then when they announced that he was uh, given the assist on the Frost goal, um, you know, he uh, – the PA announcer there at the Wells Fargo Center gave a little pause, and the entire crowd erupted in cheers. I've never heard that for a uh, for an assist. I've heard that for the goal scorer, but not for the assist like that. His Flyers debut, he gets a point. That's incredible. 
What a great story uh, Jamie Drysdale in front of his parents tonight. So that's all I got for you. Keep it tuned here on the Radio Voice of Kutztown University, KUR. And uh, I'll see you again next week after this uh, after this Eagles playoff game. We'll see what's going on, and we'll see what there is to be upset about. I'm Mitchell Smedley. This has been Backlash here on KUR.